Hi, Wilhos. As you know, if you've listened to part one of this podcast, Quinn and I fangirled out real hard to Greta Gerwig. So part one was all about Lady Bird, and this is part two, which is all about little women. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the World of Horror Minisode. This is the cute and dorky cousin of the World of Horror podcast, where we talk vintage and vintage-ish movies in our Midwestern accents. I'm Christina. And I'm Quinn. And our mission is to make connections to the main movie from last week. Let's move on to our next segment. I'm angry nearly every day of my life. That's a quote from Little Women, which came out in 2019 and is 135 minutes. It stars Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Meryl Streep, Tracy Letts, Bob Odenkirk, James Norton, now we're really getting down into it, uh, Louis Garrel, and Chris Cooper. All right. Now, I never read Little Women, and I, I never saw any adaptations until I went with you and your then husband to see this version. And <laughs> I uh, loved it. I was completely delighted by it. But I think for someone who hasn't, you know, is in a similar space, I think watch you have to watch it twice um, to you know, sort of get what's going on. Cause I was pretty confused in the beginning, like what was happening. Cause she plays with time so much. And if you know the plot and you know, the characters, I don't think it's a big deal, but if you don't, you might want to invest in a second viewing of this movie. She doesn't do a whole lot to signal you. I think she does something with color, yeah, but it's a very, very nuanced effect. Well, that is and- difficult to see. Also, the the behavior of the girls is different, Um, especially like Florence Pugh is a lot, you know, she's got a sort of stateliness and gravitas um, when she's older. When she's a teenager, she is, she's the youngest in the family and she acts like a little brat. Um, We can get into the characters a little bit, but so, but yes, I don't think it's, she doesn't say like seven years earlier, seven years later, every time, you know, she just gives you a couple of those to orient you, but otherwise you're on your own. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right in terms of how they're acting and then also the color and sort of the saturation and the warmth, but it's not easy to tell. So, yeah. So let's get into these characters because she's doing some cool things here that haven't been done with them do you want to just talk about the characters and like how they relate to the story yeah let's do that instead of just going through a plot and stuff yeah okay so when I you start with your favorite character my favorite character is joe (laughs) typical um (laughs) (laughs) joe's the main character too um and so there's a couple of differences. So again, this is Little Women. It's um, adapted from Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. Um, and Joe's the protagonist in that as well. So it kind of, she brings us through the narrative. Um, but it's very much about her family and her sisters especially. But um, Joe is a writer and she is the second eldest in the family. She becomes an educator 
So she moves the, the pieces that go back and forth in time sort of go from Massachusetts to New York, but she moves to New York to teach at a school. Um, and she ends up coming back home when Beth gets sick. But um, Joe is also, she is adventurous. She is um, stubborn. She's, you know, she's like, she's, she's kind of like she gets into arguments and she's really um, like she is impulsive and um, you know, she has an idea of what she wants and she can't be moved from that idea, even in like small ways. And, and more than anything, like she wants to have an adventure, I think. And that's how I always saw her um, when I read the book. And when I saw other adaptations, I think, of this. So kind of similar to um, to Lady Bird and Lady Bird. And again, played by the same actress, Sorsha Ronan. Um, yeah, and that's that's how I think of Joe. And she does, again, she takes us through the narrative. And in the end, in this version, in Greta Gerwig's version, you see that she is the writer of Little Women, um, not Louisa May Alcott. So that's kind of cool. And it, she does a lot to sort of frame this time and in, in, in women's rights around this time and the employment of women and whatnot too. And, you know, she's a comment as well on um, relationships and marriage and men and women and differences in men and women. She's always seen as the tomboy in her family. And she, even the costuming in Little Women, she's wearing men's coats and things like that. Um and she's gorgeous as well. Like Joe is, is, you know, a beautiful character inside and out warts and all, all that stuff. She um, never wears a corset. I heard that somewhere. So all the other actresses had to wear corsets, but uh, Sersha never did. Um, okay. Well, I can talk about Meg. She's not necessarily my favorite, um, but everybody's sort of like, second fiddle to Joe kind of, but Meg is played by Emma Watson. Um, she does marry, she marries um, a man who doesn't have a lot of money. And at first um, she's pretty upset by that because she's grown up poor and she's sick of it <laughs> and she doesn't want to be poor anymore. But then she gets over it um, and she realizes that love's more important than money. And she has a couple of kids there's a scene that's pretty important when, before she gets married, she goes to this debutante ball and she, I don't know, she borrows a dress from somebody else because she doesn't think hers is good enough. And the other girls are calling her Daisy and she's allowing that. And um, Lori calls her on it and says, why are you letting them call you Daisy? That's not your name. Why are you wearing this stupid dress? This isn't your style. She's like, can you just like not like I'm trying to get married here, buddy. And I know this isn't me, but, you know, this is the game. And um, he's like, well, what would Joe say? Just kind of a kind of a dig, you know, and it, I think it's kind of a cool thing because she's like, yeah, I know. I know what's going on. I'm not being my authentic self. And that's not good. However, I'm in this bullshit society. And this is what you do. 
And so I thought that was kind of cool that that was included in this movie. Yeah, I like I like that scene too. And I think it's funny too, because in the book and in other adaptations and throughout this one, they all see themselves as one thing and they don't seem to be able to step outside of that or to at least perceive themselves as something else. And they all do kind of look to Joe to sort of form this structure. And Lori, especially, he defines, you know, he's in love with Joe throughout the film. And he hearkens back to these ideals that he thinks that Joe represents. And he doesn't let, you know, he wants to like not stray from those. And so I think that's, I loved that scene because of, it makes sense. It's like, he sees Joe as the ideal. So of course he's going to bring this up and be like, what would Joe think about this? You know, and they all, and then there's, I love the scene too, before um, Meg gets married and Joe says, we can run away. I can write my little stories. I can support you. You don't have to do this. And Meg says, I want this. I know I'm going to struggle, but it's going to be worth it worth it. And this is what I want. I want to have a family and I want to have a family with John. And I know it's going to be hard, but that's what I want. And there's nothing in her at that point that, I mean, we've seen her before and she was sort of flirting with the idea of marrying Rich. But at that moment, she is this very strong character and she remains that character throughout. And, you know, I think a lot of them compare themselves to Beth too at certain points Beth is the good one Mm -hmm. even though none of them are bad you know or truly good but Beth is the quiet one she is she's not a going she's very musically gifted she's a pianist I guess they all play the piano a bit but she studied hard um to be very good at it and she is and she's honing this talent and She's been sort of homeschooled by Joe throughout before Joe leaves for New York um, because it wasn't her wish to go away to school. It was she wanted to stay home and be at home. And that's what she wants. And that's what she likes. And I think it's easy to feel sorry for her even before she becomes sick. But that is what she wants before she comes becomes sick. And so we shouldn't feel sorry for her because she wants to be at home and she is more of a internal character and she is nice and sweet. And she is the one that will think about people first before any of the other women will. So she becomes sick because she cares for neighbors who have scarlet fever and um, she worries about different people and she's always like doing for others but that's her nature and that's what she wants. And I think, again, like as an audience, you want to be like, no, Beth, live for yourself. But she is. This is her way of doing it. And that's OK. One thing I liked about Beth and spoiler alert for a mo- for a story that came out in the late 1860s. But Beth dies and she knows she's going to die. Um, and Joe says to her, fight please fight this. And, and Beth is kind of resigned, I think, to it. She said, it's like the tide going out, you know, you can't, you can't stop it. And Joe's like, 
yeah, I can. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I've done it before. And, I'll, you know, so um, I like that contrast between those two characters because um, I was thinking how to say this. Well, lately I've been thinking, what would it be like to know you were going to die? Like, how, how would that go? Um, and would you feel resigned or angry or, you know, just sort of like Zen about it? Like, this is what happens. I'm a being, I'm a biological being, and this is what happens. Um, and I don't know, I kind of like the way Beth approached it in a way, because she was just sort of like, look, don't, you know, don't get upset. This is fine. You know, it's God's will. Anyway, Joe is having none of that. You know, she's, she refuses to accept that, that Beth is going to die. Yeah. It's like with Beth's um, analogy of the ocean, it's like Joe's trying to stop nature um, or to like redirect nature. And that can't be done. The last sister's name is Amy. She's the youngest one. And from what I understand from what you've said in other adaptations, she's been uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for um, unsympathetic character because she has such jealousy for her sister, Joe, and she feels like she's left out of a lot of stuff. She does have to go to school outside of the house and she does something that's really horrible to hurt her sister, Joe. And that is when she is not allowed to go to the theater with her um, and Meg, I think um, she burns her sister's novel. And uh, I don't know if you just had a piece of art that you've just really worked hard on destroyed or ruined in some way, but it can be devastating. And the fact that she did this willfully you know, she says, I knew, you know, wouldn't hurt you if I burned your dress because um, you don't care about dresses and stuff. But I knew this would hurt you and I wanted to hurt you. She apologizes. She goes, I feel terrible now. But um, <laughs> that might be cold comfort, you know, to Joe. Um, and Joe does hold a grudge for a while. Um, but there's sort of a lovely scene in the movie where <laughs> um, where uh, Amy follows Lori and Joe out to an ice skating rink. And Lori has already told Joe stay to the edges because um, it's, it's too thin in the middle. Amy hasn't heard that warning because she's just sort of tagging along and she falls through the ice and they rescue her. And then Joe is just like kissing her and saying, Oh, my dear sister. And um, you know, it's obvious that deep down she loves her. Of course, she's quite upset by her actions but in the end, she loves her sister. Um, so that's sort of, I really like that part. Yeah, and their their relationship is just different than any of the other sisters. She definitely, she holds that throughout um, the book, though. And I think it's kind of reflected in the film when Amy is in Paris, um, when Beth is sick. And they're, they're like, is, does Amy know? When's Amy going to get here? And Marmy says, Beth doesn't want us to tell her. She doesn't want us to end her trip early. And Joe says something like, you know, she's always been able to get out of the hard parts of life. Um, and I like that because, yeah, something I mentioned to you is that 
other adaptations maybe are more unsympathetic to Amy, but I think it's only because they don't give her enough time to develop. Um, Gerwig gives her more screen time. And so it's easy to see that like, yeah, she was like a snotty little asshole kid, but we all are. And if you grow up in a, you know, environment with four older sisters, which I have no idea what that's like, but I bet if you are the youngest, like you have to feel a certain way, you know, your entire life, like you're trying to prove something. Mm -hmm. Um, And you maybe feel like you're born with, with something to prove and you have further to go. So, um, I hate Amy. Like I used to hate Amy when I read the book. And even when I saw other movies, it wasn't until this one that like I was sort of asked to envision Amy from an adult perspective, which like as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I get it that you burned your sister's book. Like, I don't know. I would have done that, but I've done, I did some shitty things too. And you know, I think a lot of when I was little, I blamed her too for like ruining the relationship between Joe and Lori, but she didn't do that at all. Um, and she, yeah. So I, I like what she does because she's just giving her more time to develop that we don't ever get in other adaptations. But I don't think that Alcott wrote her to be like this snotty little asshole for her entire life. Like, I just think she wrote her with realist a realistic representation of a of a of a younger kid in a family of three older sisters. Yeah, she um has a couple of speeches in this movie where she sort of lays it out that like women don't have any power in the society because she's very good at art, but she's gonna give it up because it doesn't it doesn't make sense for her to pursue that because she doesn't think she's like the best. So she doesn't want to kind of mess. She says she doesn't want to be like a dauber or something. Like she just doesn't want to be a run of the mill artist. She would want to be like the best artist. Um, she also talks about how she has been in Joe's shadow her whole life or been second to Joe her whole life. So she's been in love with Lori her whole life, but Lori's been in love with Joe his whole life. And so when he proposes to her after being rejected by Joe, um, she's like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. No, um, because I've been down this road before and I, yeah, I won't be somebody you settle for. In the end, she relents. Um, but I don't know. She, Florence Pugh is a fantastic actress and she really took full advantage of this role and just. I actually think that, I, I mean, if I were to have to answer this question, which like, I don't have to answer this question. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I think that, I think she's the best in this film. Yeah. Like, I think that she is, showing off her chops in a most effective way. Yeah. I I think that she has gotten a lot of acclaim for this and um, she's my favorite character to watch. Um, I think she does great with the old timey language. Um, She makes it sound very natural and 
they all, the overlapping dialogue is really great because it sounds so natural and you sort of forget that, you know, this is like more than a century ago um, when people were talking like this. So yeah, I think it's really directed well and written well. And the acting is just like fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like the scene when Lori tells um, Joe about him and Amy. It's like right when Joe realizes that, hey, you know what? I'm lonely and he loves me and this might be good. And Lori comes home and he... Joe says something like, I bet Amy pestered you the whole ride here. And he's like, yes, she did, but I liked it. And then mentions casually something about how he can't get his wife away from, you know, all the women downstairs or something. And she's like, your wife. And she needs to know if this is a thing that he's doing. So he says, you know, to hurt her because Joe is, it's all about Joe for Joe. She's not so self-centered, but she's got a piece of that. So like, you can see that. And at this point, I do think she's like, he's doing this just to hurt me. He couldn't actually be in love with Amy. And part of that, I think too, is just the vision of Amy that she can't get past, which Mm -hmm. is the vision of Amy as a spoiled little bratty kid. Um, She's kind of like the audience can't get past that. I don't think she can't believe that. And he's like, I love her. Yeah, I love her. I loved you all my life. Um, this is a different love. I love her. And you you see it developing in the next few scenes um, that are within that time period, like the later half that they're going back and forth between. But I like that too, because I think it kind of does show a little bit of Joe's, some of Joe's flaws. I was going to say, but she's human and... Um... We need to talk about Marmy, Marmy's character, but Joe was saying that to Marmy, like, do you think he's going to ask me, propose to me again? And if he does, what should I say? And Marmy's like, wait a second, are you, do you love him? And she's like, well, he loves me. So that's good. And Marmy's like, that's no, that's not the same. Um, And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's interesting because up to this point we've been with Joe and we want her to stick to her guns and like be this rebel and like iconoclast, <laughs> like change the whole society and get your own copyright. And I don't know, it's like, um, it's a very feminist kind of vision and she's sort of waffling here and she's sort of like, well, you know, maybe I should, you know, go along with this thing that everybody in society does, even if I don't, love him um in the way that I, I should yeah I love it because that's real right and that's important to show that a more realistic perspective yeah I know that a lot of Elcott did write it in two pieces and a lot of people after the first piece, we're like, well, obviously Lori and Joe are going to get together. And she's like, no, they're not going to get together. They're not in love. That's not the end all for Joe. Joe doesn't need to be married, maybe. Or maybe she does and it doesn't. But it's not going to be with Lori. And she always stuck to that. But I love it that she, in this 
presentation of it, we see, we see that wavering because of course, loneliness is so powerful. And, and that is what she says to Marmy, you know, that she doesn't want to be lonely anymore. And Lori could provide that for her. We know that they get along. Um, but yeah, love that and, scene. And you know what? I mean, I used to listen to Dan Savage's podcast and he's a sex, um, what do you call that? Sex uh, advice columnist. Um, but he just sometimes talks about companion marriages. I mean, these things exist where, you know, you might not have this deep, passionate, you know, love affair. You might be really, really good friends. And there's just an advantage to being married and being companions and not, you know, being alone. That's an option. I mean, people can do that. People do do that. Um, and I think that's kind of what she's thinking there. Um, and I don't know if I want to save this till later or do this now, but it's on my mind right now. I wanted to know what you thought about this quote where Amy says that she thinks we have some control over who we love. So this is where Lori is sort of pushing her, like, do you love Fred Vaughn? And she's like, eh, I mean, he's rich, so that's good. And he's like, yeah, but do you love him? And she says, I think we have some control over who we love. But I wanted to ask you, Quinn, do you think that we have some control over who we love? Um, no. Definitely not. I mean, I don't know. I've not, I've not thought about it. But if I look at it completely in the, the realm of the story... I want to say no. It's easy to say that we do. It's easy for Amy to say that we do because she rejects Fred. So she controls that situation, right? But like, and Joe rejects Lori and controls that situation. If she didn't have, if she had control over it though, she probably would have just accepted Lori as a companion, right? Because she wouldn't be alone. And she wouldn't maybe be concerned with what else was out there, you know, or whatever. And it would be easy because he is, he was wealthy, you know? And so that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. He's good looking. He's very handsome, always described as very handsome in in the book and in all the adaptations. Like he's funny. Why not just do that? If you can control that, then do that. Then I don't know. I feel like my gut is to say no, but I also feel like the evidence in the in the book in the in this film is is no as well. Yeah, um, I think I would agree with you on both counts. I, I don't think I think that you can control who you love. I might have thought that in my twenties, but I don't. Knowing what I know now, <laughs> and knowing who I love now, um, I don't think I had any control over that. That was, you know. Yeah. So, and I don't think the author is saying that is sort I think, I think she's trying to point out that Amy is, you know, deluding herself when she says that. Yeah. And maybe that is like the notion of a young person who hasn't lived enough. And, and maybe that is just like good writing because she's attributing it to Amy who's young. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about Marmy, but before that, since we're talking about love, um, I wanted to talk about the relationship between Frederick and Joe in this movie. Um, I guess there were a lot of liberties taken with the story in this movie, uh, but I like it because he is, he wants to read her writing, which, oh my gosh, 
be still my heart. You know, that's somebody asked to see my writing. I'm like, I love you already. But Joe has not really been criticized in the way that he criticizes her. And he says, bluntly, I don't think this is good. And she says, uh, you don't think I'm talented? And he says, oh, yeah, I think you're talented, but I don't think this is good. And she's writing, I don't know, pirate stories or something, some kind of swashbuckling, violent, you know, thing that sells um, because she needs to make money. But it's not really the kind of thing that she would write if she didn't have to make money. So I like that. She calls off the whole friendship right then and there because of this, you know, the fact that he's being honest and he's being direct with her. And this might be the first time that that has happened. Um, so she's quite upset and she breaks off this friendship with him. But um, they, they, you know, end up together at the end. But I like that. Yeah. I, I like that they have a sort of an intellectual relationship. Yeah, I do, too. I think that they're like paired really well in the film. I don't remember even I don't remember him from the book I don't remember thinking he was like oh yes you know he could be equal to Joe because Joe is just you know she gets more (laughs) screen time or like you know page time than anyone else of course much more than him but you know she's also she's I like that too the challenging the challenge part of, of him she's from a family who and this is clear in the other adaptations and in the book. They're so supportive of each other. They're supportive of their talents. They just are like, you know, they do want to read her work and they want to see Amy's paintings and they want to hear Beth's music, you know, and they, they're supportive of each other to such a degree that to have anything else and in, in, then, then support, like to see any criticism, even if it's, very constructive would be so that would be so hard for someone like Joe because of who she is. I love that she like calls off the friendship because of that. Cause that I feel like is quintessential of that character. Yeah. And I think it's like the most Joe thing that she does in the movie. Like, I don't know. I feel like a little bit too. And I, I read more about this too, but that it just wasn't, she she didn't come off as, as like, you know, sharp as Joe is. But what she did do is help develop other characters in a way that moved the plot into, you know, this into 2020 or 2019 or whatever, but also gave them more time to, to do some more subtle stuff. So I don't care, but I love that. I love it when that's it. She's never going to see him again, you know? And then she references it later with Marmy that she, she ended it and she was stubborn and she knows this about herself, but she can't help it either. That's who she is. Why don't we talk a little bit about Marmy, the mom? What words spring to mind when you think about Marmy? Um, loving, selfless, warm. She definitely has this attitude that it's important to take, to think about other people. Um, so there's this scene on Christmas morning, they're waiting for Marmy to come home so they can eat. 
this, all this food that they have to eat for Christmas morning. And she comes in and sits down and, and all the girls think they're just about to, you know, dig in. And she says, there's a family that, you know, they sleep five kids to a bed for, you know, to keep warm. They don't have anything. And what do you girls think? Should we give our Christmas breakfast to them? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and you can tell they're kind of like, fuck, man. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But they do it. They um, pack up everything, blankets and all kinds of stuff, medicine. And they go to this uh, other family's house and they're laughing. I mean, once they're on the road, they're laughing and having a good time. And Lori witnesses this from his house. And so what's kind of fun is when they get back home, the Lori's grandfather has supplied them with like this feast for Christmas. So I just love that whole like, and Frances Pugh is the first one to walk in and she's just like, oh, and she's just so happy. She's almost on her tiptoes. And I just, you know, it's such a great moment. And I think it captures that spirit that you have at Christmas time where you're just so excited and, and just um, appreciating everything so much. And then they, they put on a little play that Meg kind of orchestrates. And again, this is Gerwig kind of emphasizing the importance of art in her movies, because like you were saying before, Beth plays the piano and Meg does drama and you know they all have something and they all you know you know try to do it very well my favorite scene with marmy is and i don't exactly know what's going on here but she's at this building she's volunteering giving supplies to people and this man says that uh she says do you have sons fighting in the war and he says i did um two of them died one of them is a prisoner and I'm going up to Washington to see my son who's in the hospital. And I just thought she's got four girls. He's got four boys and thank God, you know, her, her kids are alive at this point and well. And so she takes the scarf that's off her own neck and she sort of sneaks it in the bundle with the blanket and that's just her. You know, she's like, I've got my situations better than this guy. And I have something I can give. And that's just her. That's what she does. And she sets this example for the girls that they sort of resent sometimes, but they know that it's good to be this way. It's just difficult. Yeah, she does so much heavy lifting. I mean, she raises them and I didn't even think about the parallel of the four boys that he has and what's happened to to them and how she must just immediately go to her four girls, you know, and, and while so much of this is about the difference between men and women, you know, throughout all time, but especially at this moment, and we look at it from this perspective in the future of when it was written, but that scene in particular shows a little bit of the difference too and in a different perspective. But um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, the parallel of the, the children. But yeah, she she is responsible for all of them and they are all good people. 
Yeah. They become good people. They always were good people, you know, because of her and what she instills within them. And and the father too, you you just get the idea that unfortunately for some of their formative years, he's not been around, you know, for a very long time, but he was a major role in their lives and their relationship with him is very good. But um, she does everything. She is why they are so great. But that quote at the top where I said, I'm angry nearly every day of my life is said by Marmy Basman. And, you know, Joe is, is like, I never knew that about you. Like she probably didn't even think she could be angry or like was ever angry. Um, but Marmy's aware of society. She knows what's going on in the world. There's some talk about, there's a little bit of talk in the school about, well, maybe the civil war, you know, maybe there are two sides to the story. And Amy's like, no, there aren't. <laughs> like, There's a right and a wrong. And, you know, that comes from Marmy. So she's, politi- you know, she's aware, she's politically aware. She hates it probably that her neighbors are, you know, want the baby's going to die of scarlet fever and, and her husband is wounded in the war and, it's, you know, yeah, she's pissed, you know, but she never shows it. She never shows it to anyone. Yeah. And she's doing a good job showing what you'd have to perhaps hide or shove aside as a parent in order to do something, take something on so great as, as raising a child or four or two or whatever, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And you have to give up some things and you have to maybe shrug something off to the side. If it's, um, she says that patience was never in her nature. She had to sort of train herself, you know, and what a great job she did, um, you know, in doing that. Because she's delighted by her daughters, you know, she, the look on her face when she walks into a room and sees them, you know, she's in love with them, you know, she's enamored of them. And, but boy, oh boy, I mean, I had two kids. I can't, I can't imagine anymore. Um, and alone, that would be really tough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and in that conversation that she has with Joe, she says to Joe, like that she knows that some natures are so, so um, strong. They can't be changed or bent or broken or whatever. And that's like an indication of, oh, Joe is so stubborn that maybe, and that's maybe a flaw and a benefit, you know, and I think there is a lot of that too, with all of the girls, they have some flaws and they can be good and bad at certain points. But yeah, even the dad, when he comes home, I mean, he is also enamored with those girls and so in love and he couldn't imagine them being better than when he left, but they certainly are. And that is to Marmy's, you know, that is because of Marmy. Yeah. Okay, well, Quinn, why don't we just wrap up Little Women and talk about what happens at the end of this movie because it differs from the novel. So Frederick comes um, and he, he... 
I think makes it pretty clear that he would like to stay for Joe, even though he's been offered a job in California. And her whole family is like, you need to go to him and tell him that you love him. And she denies it. But then she realizes she does love him. And there's this big cinematic, you know, happy ending moment, which is intercut with her talking to her publisher, telling her that she should have a big happy ending. And everybody gets it together to get her into this chariot so she can head off Frederick at the, at the station. Um, and they kiss under an umbrella in the rain. And it's just like this amazing happy ending, but that's not really the real ending. It's kind of cool because they're showing the typesetting machines and rolling the ink over the, over the plates and um, creating this book, like literally hand creating this book and um cutting the leather to fit the cover and embossing LM on the cover. I'm sorry, embossing little women on the cover. And before this, she has told her publisher, he's sort of wheeling and dealing with her. Um, But she stands her ground and she insists on having the copyright to her own book. And that is really important. And from what I understand, that's, historically accurate in terms of Louisa May Alcott insisting that she own her own copyright. And I think it's a beautiful statement that Gerwig is making here about the artist being able to control her art herself. Yeah. And one that was really rare as we've mentioned. And also it should be mentioned that her publisher is Tracy Lutz who plays, um, Ladybird's father in Ladybird. And it's really fun to see them together again in a very different relationship because throughout he's just, he's been her publisher with the short stories. And, you know, he even read some of Little Women and was like, uh uh-uh, uh, you can send me more of those short stories, but I'm really not interested in this. And it's his children that end up finding the pieces of the novel and they just like are consumed with it and have to know what happens next because in, in it was written in two pieces where Elcott did send the first piece in and folks did read it and could comment on it. You know, so the kids, the publisher's kids got to read the first half and they were like, well, what happens? What happens to Joe? Does she marry Laurie? And um, that's what convinces him that it could be very successful. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. And um, I was thinking, again, and I may be forcing this, but like we were talking, like I was talking about the scene with the very unfortunate man who has four sons or he had four sons and Marmy talking, you know, realizing that she's so privileged because her children are all well and alive and not in prison. Um, But here but now Beth has died and um, Dashwood has three daughters who come to him and say that they want to know what happens in the story. So, and there is a, sh- I don't think I'm totally off on that. Cause right after that, there's a shot of three of them walking to the three of them walking together. So um, I don't think you're forcing it either. And, and I love 
you know, too, the girls, his girls, like they seem to have the camaraderie. We only see them for a minute, but like it does seem familiar from what we've seen from the marches, the girls, you know? So I didn't notice that. And I don't think you're forcing it though. <laughs> I think it's cool. Yeah. So I know that we've left a lot unspoken about this movie. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to give on what it means to you or what um, you think about it? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's one of those things when I saw it was coming out, I was like, did somebody ask me what I wanted? <laughs> and then they did it. <laughs> they delivered me a Greta Gerwig version of Little Women. <laughs> um, so I think I was set up to love it. And I certainly did. I love it. I love it so much. I think that the best thing that she did was in, in terms of narrative and what she did by sort of weaving the past and the present together in a seamless way. And I don't know, I mean, I, I think she should win an award for adaptation um, because like to me, it's just someone who is really familiar with the story and seeing it presented in such a different way that feels, it makes the story feel different, even though what I'm feeling as different aren't the pieces that are different. It's just the way it's presented. And I think that is just shows just so much success in an artist that if you can take something that people love so much and not change the general meaning of it, but present it in a, in a way that feels really fresh, um, that's really, really successful. And I love that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite part of this movie is just the way the, the writing and that's all Gerwig. Yeah. I think she's really um, set a high bar for herself. I'm really um, looking forward to her next work, but this I think is a masterpiece and it's going to be tough to keep performing at this really high level. Um, but she she passed the sophomore test and then some, you know, I think she's really made a great movie here. Yeah, agreed. Everyone needs to see this if they haven't. And I think that <laughs> many, many folks probably like me will go from maybe crying a little bit to just like finding yourself staring at the screen with a huge smile on your face like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really fun. So I don't know, couldn't, couldn't recommend this more. Well, I have a little bit of trivia on this movie from our friends at IMDb. According to them, Timothy Chalamet improvised during his scene proposing to Ronan. That's a pretty intense scene, um, but that doesn't totally surprise me because it just seemed like he was building on what she was saying at the time. And I know they know each other very well because they've worked together before. Um, so if they have that level of intimacy where they can improvise in that way. Yeah. That's cool. You know what that scene reminded me of? It's funny because I didn't know that he improvised it or I didn't know that it said that he did. Um, 
it reminds me of that scene in um, Singing in the Rain when they first get sound and he's like, well, I just want to say what I usually say. And the producer's like, that's fine. That's fine. And so he's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then when they screen it for the first test audience, they just make fun of him there. And so I noticed in this scene when he's proposing, he like will stop and just say, I love you, Joe. And it's actually really effective because it feels it's just really realistic. But for some reason, when I watched it this time around, it reminded me of, of that scene. And I don't feel the same way about it as, as the scene in Singing in the Rain. I, but it did make me stop. And I really noticed that scene this time. So I like to know that. That's a great piece of trivia. Saoirse Ronan kind of strong-armed her way into this role. She basically informed Greta Gerwig that she was going to play Joe. And Gerwig was a little hesitant since she just, you know, cast her as the lead in her first movie, Lady Bird. But um, then she was like, that's kind of a Joe thing to do. So yeah, let's, let's do that. And I think that's great too. I, I really am becoming a huge fangirl of Sir Sharonin. Yeah. She's fabulous. Yeah. I, I don't know. I try to imagine it by someone else. And I love it. I love it when directors work with people over and over again. I like to see it. Yeah, that was cool. Um, Eliza Scanlon does play the piano. And she's actually playing. She had to practice three hours a day to be prepared for the role. She's a very good pianist. Wow. I think she may have played the piano in Sharp Objects, too. Oh. A little bit, like, here and there. I don't know. But if I... If I had an actor like that who had a special skill, I mean, I would use it for sure. That would make sense in Sharp Objects that the mom would have her do like countless (laughs) piano lessons. Yeah, she's so good in that series, Eliza Scanlon. And of course, Patricia Clarkson, because of course. Well, she is a goddess. So Amy's speech about marriage was not in the initial script, but it was suggested by Meryl Streep, our hero. <laughs> after talking, after working and talking with director Greta Gerwig, Streep asserted that there needed to be a moment in this movie that gave modern audience that gave modern audiences the opportunity to understand the true powerlessness of women in that period. So thanks, Meryl. Wow, that is very cool. Because I think when you watch this film, that is a part that sticks with you. And I actually love it that Amy is the one to give that speech. I think it's perfect. So earlier we talked about something that Amy says in the movie that she thinks that we have some control over who we love. But there was another quote I wanted to talk to you about. Joe says, writing doesn't confer importance, it reflects it. And Amy disagrees. And what she's, she's sort of saying, who would want to read this story about our silly little lives? And Amy is saying, well, just because uh, you don't see a lot of these stories doesn't mean they're not important. And so I like this idea, this, you know, conflict, writing doesn't confer importance 
importance, it reflects it. And Amy says, no, it does confer importance. And so again, I think this is a pretty feminist statement. It's real short, <laughs> you can blink it, blink and miss it. But I think it's so cool. And Joe's sort of like, how did you get so wise? And Amy's like, well, I've always been that way. It's also, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, a reflection too of how audiences feel about Greta Gerwig. <laughs> you know, we don't have like, you know, this, that voice was lacking. We, and it's, we have it now. And so we're looking at it in high esteem. Yeah. All right. Just a couple of things. I just put this under the category of cool stuff. I counted five dance sequences and I think Lori dances with every girl. Do you think that's true? Um, it very well could be. I don't have notes on that. Uh, I mean, the, the the dance he has with Joe is so sweet because <laughs> she has singed her dress. She has stood too close to the fire, which is repeated later in the later time period. Um, and so she doesn't really want to dance on the dance floor. And so they go outside and they dance outside on the sort of wraparound porch thingy. And it's, it's so sweet. I mean, it's it's like a dance that you could see happening at a concert, you know, like in the mosh pit or something like it's so modern. It's not, it's, it sort of takes you out a little bit, but it does it in, in a way that works somehow. <laughs> well, I think because in that time period, dancing really meant doing these formalized movements and sequences. Um, but anybody who dances, you know, just moves to music is going to sort of look like that. I think that, you know, that freeness that you see in Chalamet, especially. Uh, Beth compares Joe to Shakespeare. And then later Joe tells Frederick, she's not Shakespeare. And he's like, well, thank goodness, you know, because we had one of those. We don't need another one. And I think that's a cool line, too, because just like you said about Gerwig, we were missing this voice. She doesn't have to copy anybody. She just has to do her Gerwig thing. Yeah. And thank God for that, because (laughs) it's a unique voice that we need. Uh, Just not a fun fact, but a fact. Uh, Scarlet Fever took the lives of 2,089 people from December 1858 to December 1859 in Massachusetts. Wow. So So is this a thing that's cured by antibiotics? Yeah. Okay. That was a dumb question, but... No, uh, people can still contract Scarlet Fever to this day, but now we have medicine that we can treat it, and they just didn't at that point in history. So that's all I want to say about little women. Yeah, me too. I mean, I know we've left a lot of things out, but what can you do um, on a, on a, a mini Quinny? So it's just, there's not enough time, but you know, there's maybe we'll have future episodes on Greta Gerwig when her next film comes out. <laughs> we'll just like fangirl. Yeah. We'll just keep going. Um, and we'll just revisit Lady Bird and Little Women again because it'll be time.
Quohos. If you've stuck around to the bitter end, thanks so much. If you haven't listened to part one, you might want to do that because we nerd out a little more on Greta Gerwig in that one. Next week on the main episode, Mac and I will be talking about the English 1973 The Wicker Man and then the American 2006 version. The following week, Quinn and I are going to be talking about cults. I'm not sure which movies we're going to cover. If you have any suggestions, get in touch over social media. And until then, we love you. But we have no sign off.